Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. COVID changed a lot in our community over the last couple of years, but one of the things that happened is that a lot of folks put off certain types of testing that we recommend that they do, usually cancer screening. I myself was a delinquent in 2020 and had to catch up doing mammograms in 2021 and again this year. But it's something that we know no one wants to hear that they have cancer. But if you do detect it early, then you have a greater chance of having that cancer able to be treated. And in doing so, a greater chance that you're going to do well long term. Well, today we're going to talk about some of the challenges and some of the solutions that are unique right here in the islands. We have Dr. Shane Morita. He is the current board president of the American Cancer Society. He's been in practice now for over a decade and a half. We also have Holly DuPont. She's the coordinator for patient navigation, both clinical and non-clinical at Queens Medical Center. And we have Michelle Hashimoto, and she is the senior manager of Hope Lodge Hawaii. And we're going to talk today about what some of the surprising statistics are about cancer and how we can help people who get this diagnosis to navigate their way through not just the medical system, but also in some cases from neighbor islands to come right here to Oahu when it's not their usual home base. So thank you for joining me, all three of you here in the studio, back doing live shows. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Mahalo. All right. Well, let's talk first. Dr. Marita, you mentioned something to me earlier, and I was sort of struck by it. I wrote it down in my not-so-good handwriting, so I'm going to try and see if I can read this. You mentioned that, you know, the number one cause of death for Asian Pacific Islanders is not cardiovascular disease, but is cancer. Tell me more. That's correct. I think... um you know, a lot of emphasis has been made regarding cardiovascular health in the United States, regarding all populations. But, you know, for the Asian Pacific Islanders, actually, it's it's oncology, it's cancer patients, the ones who oftentimes have a little bit of a delayed, or, you know, delayed diagnosis. Um, we do observe disparities. For example, the, the death rate for um, Native Americans, um, uh, other types of, uh, you know, ethnicities. Uh, for example, a, a, a real one that's very known is African-Americans. Higher death rate in prostate cancer. Um, there are, uh, y- you know, I think Asian Pacific Islanders increased death rate of stomach cancer. So there's all these disparities, right? Some we think is, invi- is influenced by environment or, you know, there's viruses, for example, right? Some as you know, some cancers are related to certain viruses, such as even H. pylori and stomach cancer, right? A lot of people don't know that Helicobacter is an actual, um, y- you know, carcinogen. So uh, that's the challenge that we face in is Hawaii. There's so many unique nuances that maybe different parts of the United States don't really observe. And I think, you know, this pandemic has showed... A lot of barriers, and that's you know has been somewhat accentuated, unfortunately, be, because there's some restrictions here and there. But I think it's important that we all, um, I think, look at ways of how to pivot and address some of the needs. And I think you know the states have done a, honestly a, a fantastic job. 
Well, and I know that a lot of the issues with delays in cancer diagnosis, it's multifactorial. It may be genetic predisposition. It could be geography, where someone has grown up, if they have emigrated here or if they come from the islands. It could also be genetics in the family, and it could be something as simple as, you know, I didn't take time off from work to go do my cancer screening because I wanted to go to work and I didn't have time or I didn't prioritize it or whatever the case may be. You know, even myself, hey, I did not keep up in 2020 and I should have. And I didn't realize it until 2021 hit and I went, oh, wow, I'm a whole year delinquent. So if I, who can do cancer screening at the place where I work, did not keep up, then, uh, you know, that means that there's certainly plenty of reasons which are far, far more serious than just lack of convenience. For me, I was totally convenient. That, that also keep people from doing the types of screening that we want them to do. As an oncologist with many years of experience, you know that if you catch it early, there's a greater likelihood that you're going to have some treatment available and potentially a greater chance of putting that cancer into remission or curing it. So I know that when I've spoken to some of my colleagues who are oncologists, they've talked about people coming in with later stages of cancer or with manifestations of something that they didn't, they wouldn't have had otherwise had they not been afraid or for whatever reason, keeping up with their treatments or their screening procedures. So when we look at some of those disparities, again, it's across all different various lines of ethnicity and race and and all different sorts of concerns, financial constraints also affect it. There are some definite efforts that are being made here locally in the islands to try and address some of these concerns. When you see folks that have a diagnosis, what are some of the additional added components that have made a difference in their care? You know, I think um, really the, the increased utilization of telehealth you know, so a lot of my patients who are from neighbor islands uh, in the past would, would come up and we'd have in-person encounters. But because of the pandemic uh, and, all, you know, obviously just trying to protect everyone, we've pivoted and done more, much more telehealth virtual. And it's a testament to everybody in the, in the systems. That, and um, so a lot of that where we have consultations, uh, video, and then, you know, we go over we go over what the next step is, and then we have surgeries um, where they're coming. They're coming in, and it's much more defined uh, pathways, and you know a lot of testing, whatnot. But and that's why it's so important what what Holly does uh, as a patient navigator, and what Michelle does as a manager over at the American Cancer Center with these resources for neighbor island patients. Well, and that's certainly one of the things we're going to talk about. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Holly DuPont. She's a coordinator for patient navigation. What is that? And what do you need to learn how to get around? Well, it's the system. And boy, it can be very complicated, not just for those on neighbor islands, but also for all of us, doctors included. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what patient navigation is and why that might just make a difference in your care. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking about cancer, and we're trying to figure out how we can provide the most excellent quality service for people no matter where they happen to live 
here in Hawaii. And right before the break, we were talking with Dr. Shane Morita. He is the current board president of the American Cancer Society and an oncologist with over a decade and a half of experience. And one of the things you mentioned is what can often make a difference in the care for your patients happens to be the idea of having a patient navigator. Now, this is sort of a new concept that's come about in the last couple of years, but it's definitely part of being a cancer center of excellence because, you know, Dr. Marina, I am guilty of this as as well as I'm sure some of my colleagues are. Sometimes I don't think about the logistics of how many times somebody has to come in a week and how that affects having to park multiple times or take a bus or take a taxi or or coordinate all these appointments so that it's not 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. and someone's here at a medical center for the next six hours. And a lot of these logistics are things that just don't occur to me. But uh, Holly, you're an expert at it. What is patient navigation and, and why do we need it? Thank you. So patient navigation is a program of services where non-clinical and clinical Um, staffing is involved in the care from diagnosis. Uh, When they first come in for their new consultation, rather it's with their medical oncologist or their radiation oncologist or even the surgeon, such as Dr. Marita, uh, we take hands-on immediately because everyone that comes through our doors are always um, with a uh, issue of uh, this might be a first diagnosis to one that's been repeated, you know. And so when we ever, whenever we as patient navigators get involved, it's our job to, of course, uh, make a list, see what their needs are, and then approach it um, very tactfully and making sure that we connect them with the resources of other staff members, social workers, uh, dietitian, nutritionist, uh, and so forth. And, and so our services are expanded as patient navigators, and we... One of the things that we seem to run into all the time is trying to connect with other physicians uh, outside of our facility, uh, trying to uh, assist the patient and trying to get all of their appointments uh, combined in one because it can be very overwhelming. Uh, Again, after uh, a consultation is done, they may need uh, imaging and testing and and so forth, but it may not be at our facility. It may be outside. Uh, and so definitely it is, it is something as a patient navigator we, we work very hard at on a daily basis to be able to address these issues with our patients. Well, and it would seem like if the patient has cancer, the last thing that they need to worry about is how do they get all their everything scheduled. I mean, they're already in a situation of, of being scared and being a patient and needing someone to help them. So I find that when they get hooked up with someone like yourself, a patient navigator, they can often have some of those logistics from somebody who's kind of been there and done that and said, you know what, that CAT scan is going to take maybe two and a half hours. So you shouldn't book an appointment to see a doctor across town a half an hour later. You're never going to make it. Some of the some of just practical things that I just don't really think about. And these are some of the areas of expertise. Now, you also have the unique ability to connect people to other folks going through that. That's the sort of support group network where if somebody's saying this is the first time they've had this diagnosis and they're really scared and they want to know how this is going to affect a variety of different areas, you may happen to have knowledge of the support groups where they can get that information. Absolutely. And it's not just single to where we are working at. It's, it's, it's an extension of other facilities throughout the islands. 
definitely with our neighbor island uh, folks, we definitely have to connect them. One of the great things that came out of this pandemic was definitely having Zoom and web uh, access. Uh, our, our numbers have increased uh, dramatically, not just um, here on Oahu, but on the other islands as far as getting into the support groups and being able to watch it from home, which is uh, very convenient, of course, right? So we're happy for that uh, increase, and, and we hope to continue that. So how would someone go about getting a patient navigator? If they recently had a diagnosis and maybe they have just heard about this entire concept, where do they get one? How do they find someone like you? Of course. So I can safely, I believe, uh, say that every oncologist office in the state of Hawaii uh, would have someone that uh, their title may not be patient navigator, maybe a social worker or a referral coordinator. But every medical oncologist office should have someone um, that can play that role. And again, uh, navigation has been in existence for some time now. And so it's, it's something that uh, many of the physicians uh, will grasp and, and, and want that service because we are valued and, um, and very needed. Now, you mentioned clinical and non-clinical. What's the difference? So I'm a non-clinical. Um, the old term used to be lay navigator, which means that I do all of the logistical. If you come in as a patient and you don't have insurance, then that's my job to connect you with our social workers or with the MedQuest office. Uh, versus an RN is a medical uh, navigator that will follow the doctor, such as Dr. Marita, uh, and will do all of the medications, the uh, sometimes uh, chemo treatment, uh, what is the plan for the patient, including their caregivers, their family, whoever is their support uh, people that come with them. And so the, the difference, and we work very well together. I think we complement each other on a perfect marriage, actually. So, um, but that's the difference is that we, we stay within our, our roles, but we work very, very well together. And this is something that you mentioned most oncologists would have access to or be able to have their staff get them into a situation where they can have a navigator help them. So this is not just one medical center. It's pretty much all medical centers should have some access or availability. And that's where you might find the social workers, the financial counselors, like you mentioned. Correct. All the different folks who can help make that whole entire treatment course just the tiniest bit easier, which if you're a patient and you have a diagnosis that's really serious, anything that can make your life a little easier is clearly something that you want to do. Yes, absolutely. And I just want to put a shout out there for all patients that are going through their journey. Please ask. Please start with your medical oncologist and, and reach out and say, what is there available for me within this office or this facility? Uh, because many times uh, when patients come in, they don't know what the, the name might be or who that staff person might be. So I would just reach out immediately and ask. Do you have any recent situations that you can recall where somebody has made that request and that you've found what some of their needs are and been able to help them coordinate through their care? It actually happens daily. Uh, so as recent as uh, this morning, having a, a phone call by a family member, the caregiver, and she was very distraught. Uh, and I, was, I had the opportunity to speak to the patient as well, and, and the patient was very calm, but not the caregiver. And that's because all of that responsibility falls on the shoulder of the caregiver, and so it becomes their uh, responsibility. And, um, 
And so she was just reaching out. She was just asking a question. She had heard about me. She's not at our facility, but she had heard about my services and what I can do. And so she reached out. I was able to connect her right away to um, their physician, spoke with their physician office, explained what was happening, and they took over right away. And, they, you know, so, of course, uh, that's part of just supporting each other within our state. And um, so that was just this morning. Well, and you brought up a really key point, which is sometimes the navigation may be for the patient, and sometimes it may be for their caregivers and their family, because it really is a team approach. And cancer doesn't just affect the one person who has it. It affects their whole support network in Ohana. So in this case, you know, the patient may have been calm and not worried, but it was actually the caregiver who needed your support and who needed those connections to be made. And that sounds like it's a whole nother area that, you know, it's not just about the one individual. They may say, I feel like I'm fine, but boy, their caregivers and loved ones may need some extra support and help. And connecting them to people who are in that same role could be ideal and could be really helpful. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about a unique housing situation that may arise for some of our neighbor island folks and how the American Cancer Society has spearheaded a solution. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking about cancer. And why is this Minority Cancer Awareness Month? Well, we're talking with Dr. Shane Morita. He is the American Cancer Society Board President. We have Holly DuPont we just heard from. She's the coordinator of patient navigation, both clinical and non-clinical at Queens Medical Center. And we have Michelle Hashimoto, and she is the head senior manager of Hope Lodge Hawaii. Now, we mentioned that it's Minority Cancer Awareness Month, Dr. Morita. And what exactly does that mean? Well, basically, you know, it's uh, it's it's really spearheaded by many uh, different organizations, uh, including the NIH. But it's just to raise attention that cancer affects everyone as an inv- individual, but also as a population uh, differently. You know, there's different challenges, barriers, difference in, as you know, genes, uh, a lot of different um sort of access to care that folks have. You know, we call it social determinants of health. But it's just all-encompassing to ensure that we don't forget our, our minority, um, you know, groups. And I think it's so germane to Hawaii because our state, as you know, is, is extremely diverse. And I think dealing with different situations, communities, neighborhoods, when we talk about Hawaii, it's not only the different ethnicity that you have, but it's the culture and culture is not the color of your skin, but it's your behavior, how you respond. You know, somebody may respond differently when they get told they have cancer or their caregiver. There will be dif- different reactions. So I think with all of us working together in, in partnership, I think that's really, I think, the way to, uh, you know, we can best take care of the patient and, and their caregiver. So. Well, it's a really important point, which is, you know, culture is not, it's not the color of your skin. It's also just what is your what is your environment? What did you grow up in? And how do people approach this type of 
this type of diagnosis, depending on where you're from. What did your aunties do? What did your uncles do? And how did this affect your family? And also, I think you mentioned these these challenges that people undergo when dealing with prevention and trying to do screening is that, you know, if no one in your family ever did a colonoscopy, then you might not think this is a normal thing that you need to do at a certain age. And yet that's why we're starting to see that certain populations who never screen for colon cancer, well, they may get diagnosed at an advanced rate. And that may just be because no one in their family has ever thought that's a necessary thing to do. So there's there's barriers in a variety of different ways that transcend whatever your skin color is. And yet it also, we do see some population statistics that show that when you look at cancer survival, if you get diagnosed earlier, it's always going to be to your advantage. If you have a treatable cancer, it's going to be to your advantage. And we also have another unique factor that I think happens here in the islands more than it may in other states because we're islands. So we've got the neighbor island situation. And and it's so wonderful that we have people of various different locations, but you can't just get in your car and drive from here to Hilo. It just doesn't happen. And you can't drive to Molokai from Oahu. It's just not a possibility. So we also rely on another area, which is air travel or transit, to help get people to locations where they can get care and can receive some additional treatments. And so that brings up the other question that always comes up. And and today, you know, you were telling me earlier, Michelle, about a situation that you encountered, talk about timely, like this morning. Sometimes people from neighbor islands who get a diagnosis and who have a need for treatment here in Oahu, they don't even have a place to stay. They don't know how they're going to manage this. What yeah. happened earlier today? So we got a call at our Hope Lodge, American Cancer Study, Clarence T.C. Ching, Hope Lodge, Hawaii, and this wonderful husband was calling on behalf of he and his wife. They were living out of their van. He didn't tell his provider that he actually lives on Molokai, and they were here getting cancer treatment, and his wife had um, noted to his her husband, I can't fly home every time. I just can't. I'm just, it's too painful. I can't do it. So they've been living out of their van. They were um, renting a, um, you know, in a hotel, used up all their savings, maxed out all their credit cards, and now they're in the situation where they're homeless on Oahu, trying to get the treatment that they need, that she needs, um, but be in a safe place and definitely not in a van. And so he called for help to see if we could be able to lodge them while they're getting their treatment. Now, not a lot of people have heard of Hope Lodge. We, we've been around actually for five and a half years. We uh, first started seeing our first patient in November 2016. And for the past five and a half years, we've been able to be blessed by over a thousand unique patients and their caregivers who have been able to stay uh, for lodging over 16,000 nights since then. And um, it's through the wonderful donors who were visionaries to make um, this happen, like Queens Medical Center, who donated our land, like Hawaii Pacific Health, Kaiser Permanente, like a city mill. You know, everybody came together to make sure that we had this place, especially for the neighbor islanders who would need to travel far away, f- over 40 miles or one hour drive, to get their treatment. You know, I grew up on Oahu, and I, I never realized until I... I work for the American Cancer Society, how lucky I am that I live on Oahu. 
just think of all the neighbor islanders who don't have that convenience of being able to drive to their appointment, having their practitioners on island, um, and having the um, diagnostic as well as the treatment options that we have here. So essentially, if you have a diagnosis that requires treatment, and you and your providers decide Oahu is where you need to receive that treatment, then Hope Lodge is a place where you could potentially stay for the course of your treatment. What about, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm stuck on logistics because I realize how bad I am at thinking about it. What about driving back and forth to your treatments? You know, you might have a place to stay, but you don't have a car here. How, how do you, how, how does all of this help people who are trying to navigate getting their care in, in Oahu? We actually cover that as well. Due to the wonderful donors, again, we are able to provide transportation from the time that they land at the airport to the time we bring them back to the airport so that they can go home. We cover their transportation to treatment, the grocery store, because they would have to get groceries, pharmacy, and then the airport. So how would they find out more? Oh, asking the questions. So, you know, hopefully they'll get to a wonderful patient navigator like Holly or a wonderful physician like Dr. Marita who knows about Hope Lodge. But if they don't, just give us a call at 1-808-566-8430. We can help navigate them through that process. The referral first starts from the patient navigator, and then um, we get the information so that we can see if they're eligible. But the first thing they have to do is get that lodging request form from their um, practitioner to us. And... Once you get that form, once you get information, then you can reach out to them, find out what their needs are, and that's where the idea of patient navigation and care coordination from from any neighbor island or wherever it is that somebody is coming to receive their treatment. Now, you mentioned that you've you've had people stay over how many thousand nights? Sixteen uh, thousand nights. nights. Correct. So as long as they're going through active cancer treatment. Uh, radiation chemotherapy, surgery, clinical trials, bone marrow transplant donors, um, is staying three nights or longer, they're, they're able to um, have the benefits of, of staying at Hope Lodge if they're eligible. We do have a very extensive process to make sure that we keep the health, safety, and, and um, security of those who are in our Hope Lodge facility um, at a good, safe place. However, we are, it all starts with that referral, and we do want people to be able to know that we're here for them. Well, and one of the other ways they can find out about it is to help support it. And there is an annual gala that takes place every year, Dr. Marita. And uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, so it's going to be May 7th at the Sheraton. And, uh, you know, a lot of information on our website. Um, but this is really... I think it's a collective effort, you know, as, as mentioned before, it's it's multiple generous people, um, you know, donating their time. And remember this facility, it, it's complimentary. So you don't pay, a, you don't pay a, a nickel. You know, folks like mm-hmm. uh, Darcy Endo Omoto, who used to be our chair for American Cancer Society, um, she was able to get with Hawaii Electric and they were able to donate a, a car, you know, and that's how, provides transport. So it's everybody collectively working together, and that's what makes Hawaii so wonderful. So, you know, it's Saturday, May 7th. A lot of great, uh, you know, we're honoring uh, uh, our Beacon of Hope, um, who's a cancer survivor and also a a leader in in the community in Kauai. 
Sheraton Waikiki Ballroom. Well, and if people want to help provide and volunteer for Hope Lodge, there's also information there as well? Absolutely. We, just like anything else that American Cancer Society does, we can't survive without our volunteers. So please inquire. Inquire with us. Well, and I think it's such a unique opportunity and experience that people who, like you mentioned, living in their car, undergoing cancer treatments, it just breaks my heart to hear that. And then to know that there's some way that we can provide them with hope. I definitely want to thank all of you for being on the show today. Dr. Shane Morita as the board president of the American Cancer Society and also as a surgical oncologist. Holly DuPont working really hard as a patient navigator and helping those folks who need to know more about where treatments are and how to coordinate all of that. And certainly Michelle Hashimoto from Hope Lodge. It's an amazing work that you do, all of you do, and I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today here on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you right here next week on The Body Show. See you then.